Amen. Why don't we turn to Exodus chapter 33. Uh, for the last uh, several months, you know, you know, we've been considering the, the attributes of God. Uh, who is he? Uh, what is he like? You know, how can we describe him? Uh, providentially, this last attribute falls on Christmas Day, a day in which our minds and hearts are drawn to the birth of Christ. Lord willing, you will see more clearly why this is fitting by the end of the message. Uh, but this morning, I want us to draw our attention to the glory of God. The glory of God could be classified as another summary attribute. So again, you know, the whole thing of you have the incommunicable and communicable. So the ones that God shares and the ones that God doesn't share. Um, of course, we are not omnipresent. We can't be everywhere. So that's a, an attribute of God that is not communicated to us, not, that we don't share in that. Um, but there are, are communicable ones, such as love. You know, we have at least in some measure love. And even uh, with glory, even for men, you know, right? I mean, even there in, in, in Corinthians, uh, what does it say actually about women? That women are the glory of men, Right? So we, as, as humans, can share in some measure the glory of God. Now, obviously, just in part, not, not, not in full, but kind of a mere fraction of that. But really, even the glory itself is, is really kind of a, a, a summary of, of attributes. So we can, we can go through each of the attributes and say that you know, God is glorious. God has glory because of this, and the summation of who he is he is truly glorious. Again, when it kind of comes down to men, again, we are, are, are finite. You know, we have maybe some parts of us that God has created that might reflect his glory, but then other parts that do not. So again, it, it, it's just in part as men. However, God has full and absolute glory. So what is the glory of God? A few, um, a few definitions here. Uh, magnificence, excellence, Preeminence, dignity, honor, splendor, or kingly majesty, the absolute perfect inward or personal excellency of Christ. Uh, Grudem actually says this created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of himself. So again, we can look at every aspect of who God is and say that he is glorious, that he is majestic and deserving of all honor. So why don't we read here in, in Exodus, chapter 33, and show an example of God's glory. Uh, this is kind of a, a long section here, but um, why don't we start in verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. <clears throat> but he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about <clears throat> while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. 
Then I, will make, uh, then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. So be ready by morning, <clears throat> and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hands. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren, to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. He said, I, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. <clears throat> This is um, one of the several occasions in the Old Testament that we can call, it's called a theophany, which means an appearance of God. So theo means God, and ophany means appear. So God has appeared. God has appeared in multiple ways in the Old Testament. He appeared in visions, a burning bush, a pillar, and a cloud, even as a man. You know, what did, what did Jacob do? He wrestled with a man. Who was that man? He, it says, I wrestled with God, right? God came down in a form of a man and wrestled with Jacob. And also, we can also say probably the, even the angel of the Lord was Christ pre-incarnate. But in this passage here, we, are, we have God here coming down and visiting Moses in a special way and, and even describing his glory to Moses. Did you see God's glory in this passage? How did God describe his glory in this passage? What did he say? Moses said, show me your glory. And what did God say? What's his next words here? I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. So what is the glory of God? What makes God magnificent? What makes God deserving of all honor and praise and worship? What makes him glorious? Well, I think we can even look here in chapter 34, verse 6 here. What are some of the things that he says about himself? How does God describe his glory? What does God say about himself? That God is compassionate. What is compassionate? It's a deep love from a superior to an inferior. Showing compassion towards somebody. God is compassionate. God is gracious. He is full 
of unmerited favor that he passes on men. He is slow to anger. He is long-suffering. Picture it like a bomb, okay, a bomb with this really long fuse, super long fuse. That's God. God is long-suffering, suffering over time. It's going to, in a sense, blow up in the end. But God is long-suffering and patient towards men. And in fact, when did he say this? He said this when? After the calf. You see that? So God, after seeing the sin, the abomination of the Israelites, he says, I am what? I am slow to anger. I am compassionate. And that he is what? Abounding in loving kindness. What's loving kindness? It's hesed, which means this covenantal love. This love that will not cease. This unfailing love. And it says that God is abounding in this. That God's love is not just, again, just a small trickle. But it's abounding, overflowing. And also he says, abounding in what? In truth. So again, God is just describing himself. And, and, and that, that should sound familiar, right? I am what? The truth, right? What does Christ say? I am the truth. God is describing who he is. I am full of truth. I am completely reliable. And then he also goes on to say <clears throat> that he is faithful. It says, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, thousands, who forgives iniquities. So again, this idea that, that God, it's not that God is <clears throat> can at one time show loving kindness. But again, we see the faithfulness of God, the consistency of God, that God is always faithful, that God is always there and consistently, abundantly full of love and grace. And that he is also, he forgives. Again, he says here that he will by no, um, excuse me, that, that's who keeps loving kindness for a thousand, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sins. God, again, again, describing himself. Who am I? What am I like? I am a God who forgives. And again, it's important to recognize the context of what just happened. And Moses interceding on behalf of the people. And he said, you know, forgive their sins for what they've done. And God says, I am. I, I have forgiven. I am full of forgiveness. But however, what else does he say? He also says that he is just, that he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So again, God is describing who he is. What is he like in this verse? Show me your glory. Okay, here I am. This is what I am like. I'm going to let my glory pass before you and describe what I am like. So do you have a better picture of the glory of God? God's glory is not just a bright light that surrounds him, but the majesty of who he is. Yes, it's true. When God comes down in a deeper way, when he visits, like again, all of these theophanies, they vary from degree to degree. Sometimes it's deeper than others. Again, the comparison like God coming down as a man wrestling with Jacob versus this right here, you know, where he has to put 
Moses in a cleft of the rock and hide Moses because he can't see his face. But obviously Jacob saw somebody. So you see, it, it, it varies from degree to degree. But when God comes down and manifests more of himself, there's typically this bright light that illumines him, that comes out. But we cannot say that God's glory is itself this light. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it says that. Paul says that, that Satan himself comes as an angel of light. So just because there's a bright light does not mean that it has glory. Again, the atomic bomb is bright. Is it glory? No, it's destructive. A bright light does not always mean that it's truly glorious, but what is behind the light? This bright light surrounding God is described as glory, but what actually produces this light? We only know what God has revealed to us. God dwells in unapproachable light, is what the Bible says. When God manifested himself on earth, again, he, again, he always surrounded himself with this light. And this bright light prevented people from looking at the presence of God and perishing. Because he says that no one can see my face and live. So in some ways, this bright light was a mercy on people, blinding people, so that they couldn't see who he truly was, to see his face and perish. Now the question is, how does the glory of God relate to the incarnation of Christ? This incarnation, this flesh, coming in the flesh. Why don't we turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and men in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Now this is the key here. And he... That is, Jesus is what? The radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Do you want to see or understand the glory of God? Look at Jesus. Jesus is the radiance or the reflected brightness of God's glory. John, the Apostle John, testified that they saw the glory of Jesus. And it dwelt among us. It says there in, in John 1, verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory 
as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God was manifested in the person of Christ. Do you want to again get a glimpse of the glory of God? Look to Jesus Christ. What was he like? Who was he? What did he say? Everything that poured out from Christ, everything that he did, reflected, radiated the glory of God. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens are declaring or telling the glory of God. They are shouting at us. I wish I could shout this morning, but I can't. <laughs> we, we can gaze upon the heavens and marvel at the majesty of God. Look up to the skies. Look at the stars. See the brightness of the stars. See the glory of the stars. Why? Why are they there? Why did God place the stars in the heavens? To remind us every evening. Why? Reminds us of the glory of God, of the majesty, of the preeminence, of the honor that's due to God as a creator. But this is just a shadow. The stars are but a shadow of Christ. Christ is the substance. The stars are but a shadow. Can you stare at the stars? Well, yeah, we can because we're so far away. Get closer to it. Stare at the sun. What's going to happen? You're going to go blind. You can only stare for so long. The glory of Christ, if we can see the glory of Christ. What happened to Paul? When he was going along the way, persecuting, what happened to him? A bright light came. Where did this bright light come from? It was Jesus. Jesus came, and it blinded, blinded Paul. So he couldn't see until he was healed. So this great glory, again, radiates from the person of Christ. The incarnation shouts the glory of God. In Luke chapter 2, the glory of God appeared to the shepherds, and the angels told of the coming of Christ. What happened after this? Well, Luke 2, 14, it says, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Again, I wish I could sing out and, 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 and shout this morning, but you have to picture the whole heavens, the whole sky filled with angels, filled with a heavenly host, saying what? Glory to God. Why? Because Christ has come. The glory of God, the radiance of God has come in the flesh. Christ comes in the flesh God appears, the angels declare, declare and sing praises to him. And what do the shepherds do? They want to make haste. To do what? To go see a baby. To go see the glory of God. The incarnation becomes more astonishing when you understand who came into the world. Again, the radiance of God's glory came in the flesh. This is the one 
in whom John says in chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 12, that Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus. Well, when did Isaiah see the glory of Jesus? Well, that famous section there in chapter 6 says, The Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So who was sitting on the throne? Who did Isaiah see? He saw the pre-incarnate Jesus. Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus pre-incarnate. This is the one who came down. The one in whom seraphim, these bright and, and mighty angels, who their voice shakes the earth, had to cover their faces in the presence of Jesus, flying about and singing constantly, holy, holy, holy. And that Jesus' robes filled the temple everywhere, filling completely the temple. And I think that's kind of in reference of, again, the whole earth is full of his glory. Try to go any place on earth. If you could cover every inch of this earth, Christ's glory is there. Go out into the heavens. Go out into the universe. Christ's glory is there. The whole universe is full of the glory of Jesus Christ. And this is the one who came in the flesh. The one who was sitting on the throne with seraphim, covering their faces because of his glory, took on flesh. What did Isaiah say when he saw this? He said, woe is me. Why? Because he saw the king, the Lord of hosts, is what he says. However, what happened? John says, we saw him. You see that blessing that we have? Isaiah couldn't even see Jesus without saying, woe is me. I am a man. I am ruined. And then outside of the mercy of God there, you know, he survived. And it was a, it was a vision. But here we have the glory of God coming down in the flesh. And people saw him face to face. Glory as of the only begotten son. We are blessed because the Lord of hosts emptied himself and took on the form of a bondservant. As it says here in in Hebrews, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus created every single thing. Everything was created through him and for him. Yet he came in the likeness of his creation. Subjecting himself to the pains and temptations of the flesh. Subjecting himself to the rulers of this age 
whom he created. He created the Jews. He created the Romans. And what does it say? What is, what is, I think it's Peter says there, that they crucified the Lord of glory. His creation spurned him and put him to death. He is before all things, yet he entered into time. Jesus, again, we, we talked previously of the eternality of Jesus, that Jesus created time. Time exists because of Jesus, and he entered into time. He entered into time by being born of a woman. Even when he took on flesh, he was upholding all things by the word of his power. There are things too majestic for us, things that are too difficult for us to understand, for us to comprehend, of that, that Jesus, fully God, completely God, and fully man, as a babe, upholding all things by the word of his power. How can that be? Again, our minds, it's hard to understand. How can we grasp? How can we wrap ourselves around the person of Christ? It's like you can't. You have to accept what he says about himself. God, I understand. You said that you uphold all, that Jesus the whole time was upholding all things by the word of his power. Is that not glorious? From his first breath in in his flesh to his last breath on the cross, Jesus was upholding all things. Throughout his life in the flesh, Jesus manifested the glory of God. John tells us in chapter 2, it says here, um, I didn't, didn't write the reference. And, uh, well, chapter 2, he says that um, is there at the, uh, the miracle at the, the wedding feast there at Cana. And it says he, he manifested his glory through his signs. It's like the beginning of his signs and the beginning of this manifestation. So all throughout his life, consistently, again, everything that he did was breathing out, radiating the glory of God. Every word, indeed, radiated glory because everything he did was magnificently perfect. Well, what, what, what must we do? Well, we should follow Moses' example. What did Moses do? He made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. Let us bow our hearts and worship Christ. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we will be transformed in the same image from glory to glory. What happened to Moses after this, after he had his encounter with God? There was something different about him, wasn't it? His face shone, and the Israelites couldn't stand it. They couldn't behold him because of the glory of God that imparted upon Moses. Moses reflecting the glory of God. So Moses had to veil 
himself. But we, having unveiled our faces through conversion, God saving us, we, we can unveil our faces as we behold the Lord. As we behold Jesus Christ, we will be transformed from glory to glory. So that's our encouragement this morning. Again, as we think about the coming of Christ. Again, what does Luke say? The sunshine from on high. And that ought to warm our hearts. And so let us behold Christ and his glory. And that will transform us from glory to glory. Amen. Why don't we pray here? Father, we come, Lord, and, and we confess, Father, that we, we feel like we behold your glory. Again, as, as Paul says, dimly, kind of like as in a mirror, dimly. Just kind of catching a glimpse of your glory. And even there, Moses being in the cleft of the rock and just only being able to see your backside. Lord, pray that you would help us. Lord, that you would show us more of your glory. And, and how do we see more of your glory? Lord, it, it's revealed to us in Scripture. We have the glory of God in the person of Christ before us in the Bible by reading his word, by meditating upon Christ. We can behold his glory. So help us to do that, Lord. Pray that you would again help our hearts, Lord, our unbelieving hearts. Lord, would you please, although our hearts, although we, we have, again, the veil has been taken off, yet in many ways we still feel like a veil is there. And so we pray that you would open our eyes deeper and deeper to see Christ in all of his beauty, in all of his glory. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you know, we can look forward. So what, is, what does Revelation tell us? In Revelation 21, that there will be no sun in heaven. Why? Because the glory of the Lord illumines it. So we know, Lord, that by your glory and your manifest glory through light will warm us and we'll be able to see in heaven. And so, Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that you would again radiate that and, and, and cause even some beams of that glory to come down in ways in part. Lord, that, that, that it would expose sin. Lord, that, that our hearts would be transformed. Lord, we... We don't want to carry around in our hearts any darkness. Lord, we want your light to shine in our hearts. Lord, again, as, as the, the parable says about the lamp, to put the lamp on the lampstand. Why? To show, to show the room, to show, to reveal things. So Lord, help us, each of us, to put your lamp on the lampstand, to, to reveal light in our hearts. So, Lord, we, we commit this to you. Father, pray that you would help us today, this, this Christmas day, again, not just to go about with tradition, but that we would just, again, stand at awe at the glory of Christ and stand in worshiping what you've done, that you've given us hope, hope of the Gentiles, that 
God in flesh. Emmanuel, God came, God with us. And so we have much to rejoice in. Lord, help us from our hearts, from the depth of our hearts to worship you this morning. Amen.